So let me give you a little bit of context before I jump in to the sermon this morning. I am just back from spending the week in Santa Barbara, California with a group of ministers, Unitarian Universalist ministers from other large churches around the country. We gather every year um, for friendship, for fellowship, and there's a program as well. So every year we learn something that deepens our ministry. The conference I was just at was exploring how large churches can truly become multiracial, multicultural, racially just institutions. And a huge part of that, the presenter was arguing, is the stories we tell and how we talk about what it is we're doing, the story we currently live in as a culture and the story we're living into that we imagine for the future we want to live in and telling new stories. So that is to say, we know some of the tired old stories in our country and even in our own hearts and minds about race, uh, the false story, the still ongoing story about white superiority, white ideas are better, et cetera, et cetera. We know some of the tired and old sexist stories about men being better or smarter or more able than women. Those stories are still ongoing as well. We know those tired old stories and part of our work as a faith community is to author and to write a new story together, to tell a different story that helps all of us reclaim our core humanity. So that's the hope with this message I want to share with you today. It's a story um, that is core to my ministry, I would say. And in fact, there's a joke among preachers. They often say, we often say to another, you know, really, I have one or two sermons uh, and I just preach that sermon in different ways, <laughs> like, like every Sunday. Like I just have one or two core sermons and you just hear a different version of that sermon every Sunday. And so in some ways, and you probably heard bits and pieces of this sermon, this sermon I want to share is, is one of my core stories, a core sermon that undergirds who I am and my, my theology. So here we go. Who wants to be average? Average, like a report card filled with C's, maybe a D, maybe a B. Who wants to be an average Joe or Jane or just fill in the blank? Just kind of this average person, you know, average height, average looks, average weight, average graying or hair loss, just average. No one really wants to be average, right? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe we do, depending on where we are in life and what our station is in life. But I mean, if I'm honest, I don't want to be like an average preacher. Right? I want to be a rock star <laughs> preacher. I want to rock the house. I want to, I want to energize and catalyze and awaken the divine in you and in myself. And I think that's true for most of us. We want to be more than just average. We want to have an identifying characteristic or quality or way of being in the world that when people look at us and talk about us and think about us, they think, whoa, that's the, that's that thing they do, not just yeah, average. <laughs> so in, in this context that I'm setting up right now, no one thinks very much of average, right? Think of Garrison Keillor, our good friend Garrison Keillor, where he talks about the children being above average. Like we just, no one thinks much of average unless you're talking about the sun, which as far as stars go, 
is the peanut butter and jelly sandwich of the intergalactic deli. Pretty average. The sun is just a plain old average ordinary star, one of a hundred billion stars in our galaxy. Its birth was average, no fanfare or hype at all, as it formed 4.5 billion years ago out of a huge cloud of swirling gas and rocky particles that were drawn into a dense center to form the sun and then the eight. Maybe there's nine now. I just saw an article like someone's like, there might be another planet out there. But it's average. In its averageness, however, the sun is remarkable. It turns out that massive stars, stars that are 25 to 50 times the size of our sun, they burn through their lives in just a few million years. That's a long time, million years, hard to get your mind around that. But it turns out that life as we know it takes time to emerge. And because we had an average sun, which didn't burn out immediately, we had that time. And now, on Earth, 93 million miles away from the sun, we are, as cosmologist Brian Swim points out, we are standing on the back of something like this gigantic cosmic whale, one that is slowly rotating its great bulk on the surface of an unseen ocean moving around the sun. It's all pretty average, I guess. It's all so very average, it boggles my mind. So let's unboggle for just a moment. Imagine holding on to your son or daughter, if you have a son or daughter, or niece or nephew, or just some random kid, but like check with their parents first. <laughs> and you're swinging them around you. You're playing at the playground or in a grassy field, and you're swinging them around you. So can you imagine that? Like, Swinging them around you. You have, a, you have good hips and good knees and a good back, and you can swing them around. If not, you can imagine this. And so feel that, that pull and that centrifugal force, how you can lean back as you swing them in front of you. Imagine something similar to that on the biggest scale you can. Because the earth is not a small child that you're holding in your hands. The earth is an immense planet and it is being swung around the sun by the power of the sun. Like our hands holding a spinning child, the sun holds us. And this is something the sun, as our average dance partner, our average cosmic dance partner, is doing in every instant of every day. While it's doing that, it's multitasking, giving away 4 million tons of itself as light energy every second of every day. Inside the sun, hydrogen is transformed into helium, and that extra energy from that reaction is just given away. That is something on the scale of a million small elephants being shot out from the sun every second. That's a cool image, right? A million small elephants shot out of the sun every second. And the earth has caught enough of that energy for life, for amino acids, for bacteria, for fish, for bacteria, for plants and mammals and bacteria to flourish. All of this, everything we know is on some level, as author Brian Swim says, a new form of the solar flare to really connect with our solar dance partner and feel what it means to ride a cosmic whale some night, maybe tonight, 
watch the sun set and watch its faraway brother and sister stars become visible. And the key when you do this, the key to this is to keep in mind that the sun doesn't really set. We know this. It's the earth, the whale we're riding on, that is actually rotating away from the sun as it orbits. So once that's in your head, that the sun isn't actually setting, the earth is rotating, brace yourself and then peer down. Imagine you're peering down, not up, into the great chasm of the night sky. If your imagination is strong enough, says Brian Swim, you will enter into a new experience. And the moment will come when all those stars you're seeing will be experienced as down below, far, far, far down below. And the amazing feeling accompanying this experience is a sense of surprise that you are not falling down there to join them. You hover in place, gazing down into the vault of stars suspended there in your bond with the earth. And the sun, long out of view, is still there holding you in place just as you hold that spinning child, just as the earth holds you tightly. So what? So what? That's the question, so what? Well, the next time you feel overwhelmed or isolated or broken or disconnected or inadvertently caught up in a story of race or racial superiority or inferiority, look up for your cosmic connection. What is surging through you and holding you in every single moment of your life and it's holding every single person in every moment of their life is the sun. We are dancing around everything we see, everything we know. What holds us is this relationship with this star. So I want to pause here for a moment because I don't want to leave um, anybody out in deep space here. <laughs> I, when, when I really sit with this, and this is hard to do, and this is, this is the story that pulls us into a new understanding of life and how we are to be in this world. So when I pull myself out of the day-to-day -day stuff, right, like yesterday afternoon, Justin, this is Meg on the phone, I'm not able to preach. You're going to have to preach. And like, woo, alarm bells start going off in my head, like, holy mackerel, how am I going to do that? And then I take some deep breaths, and I remember, like, this core story, this story I'm sharing with you now. So what I'm saying is that this average stuff blows me away. It is almost unbelievable to really sit with the story and feel ourselves in the story. It reminds me of this, I think it's an anecdotal tale from a well-known scientist, some say it was Bertrand Russell, who once gave this public lecture on astronomy. And he described how the Earth orbits around the sun and how the sun in turn orbits around the center of a vast collection of stars called our galaxy. And at the end of the lecture, a little old lady at the back of the room got up and said to him, you know, what you have told us is rubbish. The world is really a flat plate supported on the back of a giant tortoise. And the scientist, maybe it's Bertrand Russell, who knows, gave a superior smile before replying, then what is the tortoise standing on? You're very clever, young man, very clever, said the old lady, but it's turtles all the way down.
I love this, turtles all the way down or galaxies, either way, it's mind boggling. And perhaps some of you are still wondering, what does this have to do with Sunday morning worship, the so what question? And what I'm sharing with you is a story, this creation story that can hold all stories that speaks to a fundamental and underlying unity, which racism and sexism and Islamophobia and homophobia and other phobias, they distort that underlying unity. So hang on with me for just a few more minutes here. If you've got your mind around the magic and mystery of the sun, then we need to explore this event that sounds like a 4th of July special but there is no firework display equal to the intensity or the wonder of the Big Bang. In order to really imagine the Big Bang, you have to be inside of it, not outside of it, because there was no outside, just this singularity, a seething mass of pure energy. I think scientists talk about it as a bunch of numbers. I think that's one way to describe it. I like to think of it as a popcorn kernel that contains everything that we're inside of that popped and then never stopped popping. This pure energy held the promise of every tree and flower, every galaxy and supernova, every person we've loved and lost, every peanut, every circus, every elephant, every child's rattle and college diploma, every speeding ticket and traffic light we've ever waited at, this pure energy held the promise of every single person. All of that energy and potential, that potential full of what? Creative, divine presence? I don't know. It was packed together a billion times denser than lead and hotter than the hell we don't believe in. And then, blammo, right out of the gate, only a mere 350,000 years after the Big Bang, as things began to cool down, this potential and playfulness began to unfold as protons and electrons tried to join together. This early Big Bang playfulness might have gone like this. Hey, I think I lost an electron, one atom would say to another. I love Big Bang humor. <laughs> I think I lost an electron. Are you sure, another would say. Yeah, I'm positive. <laughs> Was that a groan? Did I hear a groan out there? <laughs> so in this little blink of time, 350,000 years after the Big Bang, as it began to cool, a new entity, the hydrogen atom, comes into being as protons and electrons bonded. And soon, hydrogen gas began gathering. And like a prayer that brings together the constellations of our heart and mind, this gaseous matter began to draw itself together into these huge clouds pregnant with possibility. Then, when the universe was only about a billion years old, and the only flash of time when galaxies could form, boom, 100 billion galaxies flared into existence from those clouds. Previously, it had been too hot and dense, any later in the timeline, and it would have been too thin and spread out. 
like the voices from our choir when they sing, the universe added layers of beauty and complexity to itself as the stars themselves began creating new elements in their red-hot burning cores. Hydrogen transformed into helium, which transformed into carbon, and so on. Eventually, the stars exploded, sending forth elements which created new stars and new elements that are still with us today, elements that created planets. Elements, literally stardust, that over billions of years transformed into life. After billions of years, hydrogen turned into bacteria, and giraffes, and grandfathers, and birds, and trumpet vines. And it's all about as mind-boggling as turtles all the way down. So the question on my heart this morning is this, and it is a religious question, a question that is tied into our racial justice ministry and really all of what we do. If the story of the universe is indeed this unfolding prayer, if you will, filled with potential for transformation and creativity and destruction, think of those stars exploding, and it has brought us to this point, this morning, here, what does that say about how we, as whale riders, should live our lives on this little blue-green planet? Playing with the ideas of Unitarian James Luther Adams, another way to ask this question might be this. As we look about this world of ours, what is worthy of our loyalty? As we look about this world of ours and into the starry heavens, what sacred story emerges and calls to us? Here's what I see. First, on a fundamental level, sacred reality reveals this. We are a part of everything, and everything is a part of us. Race and the racial hierarchy that puts white people or ideas and accomplishments at the top, that is an illusion an illusion that is damaging all of us right now, but an illusion that still has real power. But we are a part of everything and everything is a part of us. There isn't some sequence of what is better or different. It all comes from the same source. There is a fundamental underlying unity. Albert Einstein puts it this way, a human being is a part of a whole called by the universe. The delusion of separateness is a kind of prison. So our task then must be to free ourselves from this prison by embracing our connection with all that is, whether by staring down into the heavens or reflecting on, as Brian Swim says, the knowledge that that which blossomed as cosmic egg 15 billion years ago now blossoms forth as oneself as one's family, as one's community of living beings, as our blue planet, as our ocean of galaxy clusters. When we step back from the particulars of our life, as Brian Swim suggests, we see that this body of ours could have been a different gender, could have had different skin color. This body we have could have been in a giant sequoia we know, he says, in a simple and direct way that we share the essence of and so easily could have been a migrating pelican. 
Our astonishment at existence becomes indestructible and we are home again in the cosmos as we realize we could have been an asteroid or molten lava or a man or a woman or taller or shorter. Within the scope of this deep understanding and connection, author Barbara Holmes, who I shared that reading with you from the beginning of the service, asks this question. What would it mean to put the 30-year mortgage, the war in one European, Balkan, Asian, African, or Middle Eastern nation, or the dips in the crests of the stock market in a cosmic context? To consider our lives within the scope of a planetary system that is billions of years old would put our race and class and gender and sexual orientation and religious scuffles into perspective. If we can truly connect with this larger story to this underlying unity that holds us all and the power of love in our lives, then much of the junk that separates us can take a back seat. From Barbara Holmes once more, this awakening begins when we finally sneak a peek down into the heavens or up into the heavens and inward. In those moments, it's difficult not to know that we are connected to a vast mystery. So for me, that underlying unity demands my loyalty. That's the first thing. Second, this story I've shared with you, this creation story, it tells me that sacred reality is dynamic. It seeks novelty and diversity. It chases possibilities and opportunities. Electrons and protons bond, stars explode, new stars form. There is transforming power in every relationship and every activity. From the birth of a star to the birth of a child, to the dying of a loved one, to the eventual collapse of our sun, the universe is infused with the mysterious transforming power of relationship. An appropriate response to this reality is, as Unitarian minister George Brooks says, to engage in creative transforming interactions of every sort that are available to us. In other words, an appropriate response is to give and receive and grow together. It is to pursue relationships that transform us, like joining the 15 Now campaign, like joining the movement for black lives, like joining the movement for affordable housing in our community. In this way, according to Brooks, we can impersonate the divine reality, this sacred reality, and live out the meaning and the purpose of our lives. That's where it calls us. That's where this story pulls us. And if you've checked out for just a moment in this cosmic scientific story and you're wondering what in the heck is going on, come back. Come back. Normally I end sermon by saying amen, right? I'm at the end of the sermon. I said everything I need to say. But amen barely scratches the surface of this average day, right? On this average planet with an average sun 93 million miles
miles away, shooting off billions of elephants every second of energy. And so take a look around at the light, at the trees, at the people next to you, at this moment. Even amidst the brokenness and the heartbreak we know in this life, does this feel average? This is a freaking miracle, friends. We are here alive breathing because it's average. And so let the congregation say, amen. Amen. And amen.